Good evening, Brother White. Good evening, Grace Baptist Church. And again, it's a joy and a privilege to have the opportunity, at least by video, to open up the Bible and to preach from God's precious word. Let me invite you to open your Bible on this Sunday night to the book of Genesis chapter 5. The book of Genesis in chapter 5, and I'd like to begin reading from Genesis chapter 5, verse number 22. Now, as you make your way through Genesis chapter 5, one thing that just jumps right off the page of God's word are the incredibly long lives that people are living. And, of course, the liberal seminary professor comes along and explains to us that obviously there's an error in the Bible because no one can live for 900 years, 930 years, or in the case of Methuselah, 969 years. So the liberal seminary professor comes along and they're going to fix the problem for the Lord. And they explain to us lesser people who can't think as well as they do that back then, well, a month as we know it was then called a year, so when they live for 900 years, that actually means they live for 900 months. And I hope these seminary professors don't hurt themselves, uh, patting themselves on the back. And then, of course, when you come to a verse like verse 15, it creates a whole set of problems. Because Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. According to the liberal seminary professor, I'm afraid Mahalalel would have had his son when he was five and a half years old. You know, it's always better to say, let God be true and every liberal seminary professor a liar. The Bible is always right. God does not have to apologize. There are a lot of reasons why people live long lives in that day. And I'd love to get into that, but just a little short of time here, so I'll let Brother White handle that next week. But you know, there are a lot of reasons, but the greatest reason, far more important than anything that a creation scientist would discover, the greatest reason I know they lived 900 plus years is because God said so. And if God said the man lived 900 plus years, maybe my feeble mind can't comprehend it, but it doesn't matter what my feeble mind gets or doesn't get. The word of God is so. It really is a whole lot easier to believe God. And of course, the second thing that jumps out of the page as we come to Genesis chapter 5, well, it's kind of like a, a drumbeat in the background. No matter where you go, no matter where you turn in this chapter, it always winds up with the exact same words, and he died. Of course it does. Back in the Garden of Eden, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Of course, we know the enemy, Satan, comes with his lie. He told the woman, ye shall not surely die. Well, we come to Genesis chapter 5, and we will get a testimony for the ages as to whether the word of God is so or the word of Satan is so. And every time you turn around in Genesis chapter 5, we always come to the same words. Why is an example in verse number 5, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and there it is, and he died, and he died, and he died. And he died. He may have lived a long life, but it always ends up with the same three words. A man may live a successful life. He may have a wealthy life. There may be a lot of good adjectives you could put over his life. But in Genesis chapter 5, we are reminded no matter how great, no matter how strong, no matter how influential, no matter how wealthy, it always winds up with the exact same three words. And he died. 
and she died. And unless you and I are the generation alive when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, then those three words are going to be written over your life or over my life. It is always the last verse of every human life. It is always the last chapter of every human book. It is always the last phrase of every human song. And he died, and she died, and he died, and she died. And that's what makes Genesis chapter 5, verse number 21, so stunning. For all of a sudden, with that drumbeat, you cannot get away from. And he died, and she died. Suddenly, it seems to burst out of absolutely nowhere. The Bible says, and Enoch lived 60 and five years, and Enoch walked with God. What a statement. Father, as we open the Bible tonight, may the word of God impress us. May the word of God change us. May the word of God convict us. Lord, for someone who's never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, may they prepare to meet thy God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. All of a sudden, it just seems to leap right out of the pages of the Word of God. It would be expected, if we were in the pattern of Genesis chapter 5, to read that Enoch lived a certain number of years, and then we would expect to read the words, and he died. But no, all of a sudden, the drumbeat in the background stops, and the Bible tells us that Enoch does something very different. The Bible tells us that Enoch walks with God. Now, I understand tonight that we are not impressed by this. Because after all, we have been convinced by uh, modern day ministers and houses of religion that everybody's on a walk with God. It's our journey. It's our quest. Why, we're taught by the artist and we're taught by the singers that, that we're walking with him and he's walking with me and hand in hand we're going to take this journey together. And the problem with all the songs and the problem with all the sermons is, is that we fail to understand, biblically speaking, how unusual it is for someone to walk with God. Normal people, they do not walk with God. An unsaved man will never walk with God. Most Christians do not have a desire to walk with God. Oh, I understand that it makes for good singing, and I understand that we're all convinced that that's what we're doing, but when it comes to the Bible, it's an extraordinary thing. It is an unusual thing. It happens, and not exactly give or take a little here, but it happens about once every 500 years that a man will actually walk with God. The reason very few people in the Bible walk with God is because it is an incredibly difficult thing to walk with God. So when we come to Genesis chapter 5, and all of a sudden the pattern is broken, and all of a sudden the apple cart is turned upside down, you and I ought to be duly impressed tonight when the word of God tells us that Enoch walks with God. But you know, it's not just that he walked with God. It is so extraordinary that in these verses, the Bible gives us a repeat. It's not just once, twice, God tells us that he walks with God. That repetition is a Bible way of emphasis. It's a Bible way of God saying, don't miss this. This is an extraordinary thing, an amazing thing. And a world where everybody was going in one direction. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, a man with courage and a man with backbone stands up tall. And the Bible says that Enoch walks with God. I will notice tonight that it does not say he strolled along with God. You'll notice with me that it doesn't say he meandered after God. I notice the Bible doesn't say that he ran with God, hard to run for 300 years, 
But no, it is the story of a lifetime. It is the amazing walk of this man, Enoch. And the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. And if that weren't amazing enough, the Bible says that he did it for 300 years. Now, if you don't think that's a big deal, you've never tried to walk with God. I got to tell you, to walk with God for 300 minutes is hard enough. To walk with God for 300 days would be a near impossibility. But no, it wasn't a few moments. It wasn't a few days. Nor was it even a handful of months. The Bible tells us that for a lifetime, for 300 years, this man Enoch walked with God. Extraordinary. So tonight, let me invite you to take your Bible as we look at this man in God's word from Genesis chapter number five. And could I give you please four great lessons for Grace Baptist Church for you and for me tonight so that you and I would understand what it means to walk with God. Would you notice number one, the word of God tells us that he started to walk with God when his son was born. In verse number 21, and Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. Then in verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Now, that repetition may seem to be unnecessary to us, but there is nothing unnecessary in the word of God. And we ought to note that when we read a verse like 21 and 22, and we see a word, or in this case, a phrase that is repeated, it is a Bible way of making a point of emphasis. You know, if I were sitting at a computer tomorrow and, and I, I wrote a paragraph, it would be awfully easy to do certain things and make the words jump off the page. Why, you could put the words in bold. You could put them in italics. You could underline them. You could change the color. You could change the font. You could change the size of the font. You could do some or all of the above. There are a lot of things a man might do sitting at a computer terminal, a lot of different ways to make text be emphasized, to jump off the page. None of those things were available when somebody is rolling out an animal skin and dipping a pen into the ink and writing on that skin. So when God wanted to show emphasis in the Bible, there were certain tricks of the trade. One of the most common is the Lord would use this thing of repetition. So when you are reading some verses in your Bible, such as 21 and 22, and you see a phrase or a word that is repeated in close proximity, well, that's a Bible way of making it bold. That's a Bible way of putting it in italics. That's a Bible way of saying, God saying, don't miss the point. And the point of verse number 21 is that Enoch started in walk with God after his son was born. You know, there's a lot of good decisions that are made when a man has that child, especially that firstborn child. A lot of Cadillacs or a lot of hot rods get sold and, and caravans are bought in their places. Well, a lot of good choices are made when a daddy looks into a crib and he realizes there's a little boy, there's a little girl that's going to grow up watching me. My steps are either going to lead them to heaven. My steps are going to lead them to hell. You know, there's a lot of good choices a spiritual man is going to make when there's a son or a daughter in his family. And so it was for this man Enoch. The Bible tells us he's got a boy. Maybe he looks into that crib and he sees those little fingers and those little toes. Maybe that little guy opens up his eyes and, and he gives his daddy a smile. But whatever the scenario, however it played out, when that little fellow was born, when little Methuselah was laying in the crib, it was time for dad to make a spiritual choice. It was time for a dad to say, I will walk with God. 
Grace Baptist Church, those little boys and those little girls, those little people that walk around that fill the church nursery, those youngsters that sit in a Sunday school class week after week, they're awfully good reasons for mom and dads to live for the Lord. Oh, there's a lot of motivations tonight. There's a lot of great reasons why tonight. But that little guy or that little girl who watches with their big trusting eyes, our steps are going to lead them into a direction. We had better lead them in the paths of righteousness. I always think it's cute when a little boy or girl gets lost in their parents' closet. And it always makes a great picture, doesn't it? That little girl gets some of mama's jewelry around her neck and maybe some big high heels. That little guy puts his daddy's tie around his neck or maybe he slips into his daddy's wingtips. They, they always make for good pictures. But you know, that little girl in her mother's shoes, that little fellow in his daddy's dress shoes, they ought to tell us a powerful story because there's boys and girls, grandchildren that are going to follow the steps that are laid out in front of them. There are not many things I could imagine that would be worse than a man dying and going to hell. But you know, one thing that would be worse would be to die and go to hell and know that your own boy, your own girl, your own grandchild followed you in those steps. Little eyes on their daddy. Little eyes around their mother. We are leading them in a direction tonight. May we join Enoch and look at those little lives and say, for the sake of my boy, for the sake of my daughter, for the sake of my grandchildren, I am going to make a choice to walk with God. And Enoch walked with God. He made that choice when his son was born. But notice, if you would, number two tonight, Enoch learned the secret, or he learns the key to walking with God. In verse number 22, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. It's a fascinating thing to study this thing of walking with God in the Bible. And what is most fascinating is though it is certainly a very common theme in our music, it is certainly a very common thing in the pulpit, it is really not much of a common thing in the Bible. In other words, there are not a lot of verses talking about walking with God. Someone might well make the case, probably correctly so, that one of the great themes of Ephesians is the believer's walk. So leaving that aside, when you study the rest of the word of God, you have to search a long time to find verses about walking with God. Let me give you three of them. There's one in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, a verse that repeats a similar text in the Old Testament. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So when someone is walking with God, the Bible says they are walking by faith. Please don't misunderstand faith. Faith is not some ethereal experience. Faith is not some feeling, but faith is something very real. It is a genuine obedience to the word of God. A man who lives by faith, according to Hebrews 11, 1 through 6, is that man who says, I have the word of God. God has spoken his word. I am going to know his word, and then I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to act upon his word. I'm going to build my life on the Bible. I'm going to build my family on the Bible. I'm going to build my marriage on the Bible. I'm going to build my business on the Bible. We're going to build our church on the Bible. When we are walking by faith, it means that we are living a life exercising trust and obedience in the eternal word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. How about 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us 
from all sin. I to walk with God means I walk by faith. I believe my Bible. Now to walk by with God means that I am walking in the light. I am walking in purity. There is no way to be almost right with God. When you walk into a dark room, either the lights get turned on or the lights stay off. The room is not half light and half dark. It's either light or it's dark. And so it is with this thing of walking with God. We are never almost right with God. We are never mostly right with God. We are never 95% right with God. Either we are right with God or we are not. Either there is something between our soul and our Savior or there is nothing between. Either we have kept our hearts close and pure with God or there is sin that has entered in. And the Bible says to walk with God means that we are walking in the light. So if there is unconfessed sin in my life tonight, then I'm not walking with God. If there's unconfessed sin in your life tonight, then you're not walking with God. To walk with God means like the old preacher used to to say we keep short accounts we keep things right we keep the channel lines open we are walking with God when we are obeying the Bible we are walking with God when our hearts are right with him could I give you a third text about walking with God with the reminder that there are not as many as we might well imagine when we walk with God we are living by faith believing the Bible when we are walking with God we are keeping a pure clean life before him how about Amos 3, verse number 3? The question rings down from heaven. God said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Please don't misunderstand that verse. This verse is not inviting us into a negotiation with God. This verse is not God saying, all right, you give up this and then you keep this. I'll let you have that if you'll let me have this. This is not God cutting a deal with humans. Amos 3, verse number 3 is not meeting God halfway. Amos 3 verse 3 is God saying to you and to me tonight, you are not going to walk with me unless you do it on my terms. You're not going to walk with me almost. You're not going to walk with me most of the way. You are going to walk with me if you are willing to do it on my terms and my terms alone. God is not interested in cutting a bargain. And my friend, perhaps that's the verse that describes it better than any other. Why there are so few humans that will ever walk with God. Because to walk with God means that we say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. To walk with God means no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To live for the will of God, to walk with God means that we determine to live for the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. To walk with God means not my will, but thy will be done. And most Christians tonight, I'm afraid, are not interested in such an arrangement. Thank you, but no thank you. I've got my way. I've got my future. I've got my wishes. I've got my desires. And I cannot walk with God until I am willing to say it is no longer I who liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. To walk with God means I'm living in obedience to the Bible. To walk with God means the sin is gone. My heart is right with him. I have confessed and gotten it right. To walk with God means that I say my life for the will of God, not my way, but thy way be done. Do you begin to realize tonight why so few humans in the Bible are ever said to have walked with God? Though we make it very casual in our music, though we make it very casual in our writings, in our poetry, though we make it so casual in our lifestyle. To walk with God is rare. To walk with God is extraordinary. And when the Bible puts it out there twice that Enoch walked with God, 
what an amazing statement it is. The man is making choices very few humans are willing to make. So then, Enoch, what is the secret to walking with God? Boil it down for us. What is the key principle to understand what it means to walk with God? And indeed, it's right there twice where the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. But what it does not say is that God walked with Enoch. We are either going to do this his way or it is not going to be done. God is not interested in our advice, in our opinions, or in our ideas. Either I choose to walk with God or it doesn't happen. Number one, he looks at a little crib and he sees a little Methuselah and he said, it's time for this father to walk with God. Number two, he learns the key secret to walking with God. This is not about spending my life God walking with me. This is about a man making a choice to do things God's way. Will you notice with me please thirdly tonight that when Enoch makes his choice to walk with God, his walk becomes the message of his life. The fascinating thing about Enoch, and for the brilliant story that we read in Genesis 5, there is actually more about Enoch in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Jude, we learn about Enoch's job. Enoch is the first known prophet in the Bible. Now, I am certain that long before Enoch was ever born, there were other men that preached the word of God, uh, certainly to be so, and, and uh, one could make the case that Abel was a prophet. However, the Bible tells us that he preached with his blood, not with his tongue, though certainly he may have declared the words of God. But no, the first man, no mistake about it, the first preacher, the first prophet of God in the Bible is Enoch. And not only do we know that Enoch is the first known preacher in the Bible, but it's a very rare thing. The Lord is going to open up the word of God. He's going to peel back the sands of time. And God is going to allow us to listen as the first known preacher in world history preaches. God tells us what his message is. You'll read it in Jude verse number 14. And Enoch also, and by the way, I just love this, the seventh from Adam. You know, back in Genesis 4, there's another Enoch who did not walk with God. There was another Enoch who didn't have the testimony. And I'm glad that give or take 4,000 plus years later, that God looks at you and God looks at me and he says, Grace Baptist Church is sorry. I want you to make sure you got the right Enoch. I want you to make sure we know we're talking about the Enoch who was the seventh from Adam, not the Enoch who fouls things up. So Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, Jude 14. The Bible says he prophesied of these saying, all right, hold it for a second. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. The first known preacher in world history is about ready to lift up his voice and thunder the word of God. It will be the first known message that a human has ever preached. Certainly there were others, but this is the oldest recorded message that has ever been preached by a man. Now, I wonder if we don't need to imagine this in our own modern culture and, and through that light. If we could, we would well imagine Enoch having an invitation to a, a modern house of religion. Thousands of people have piled into the auditorium. A globe is spinning in the background. You know, in the old days, there was a cross. Now there's a globe. There's a big difference. That globe says we are here to dominate the world. That globe says we are here in dominion theology to rule and to reign in our power, in ourselves. God is going to make us little gods. That is the ultimate teaching of dominion theology. 
Well, in the old days, we used to come to preach the cross, not to preach how great I am. In the old days, we used to sing a song like, I am weak and he is strong. Now we sing songs, not we, but songs are sung that say, let the weak say, I am strong. It is a very different message. Modern prosperity gospel has turned from we can be rich and we can be healthy to we can be victorious over everything and anyone. We can be like God. It is an incredibly dangerous thing. The globe is spinning, letting everybody know we can become our own gods. A modern minister with a pretty hairdo stands up in front of the throngs and why telling them God wants us happy and God wants us rich and God wants us prosperous and God wants us successful and at great expense, believe me, it'd have to be, we have brought Brother Enoch in to give us a message. Brother Enoch, come and deliver what's on your heart. Share with us this morning. Enoch, what do you have for us? So we watched the first known prophet of God stand up in a modern house of religion and he opens his mouth to preach. I wonder what would happen if this ever took place. Because when Enoch preached, this is what he said. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In one verse, the man uses the word ungodly four times. In modern houses of religion, they have not heard the word ungodly one time in four years. I got to tell you, this guy would flunk homiletics class at the Bible college. I, I mean, there is no nice little poem to get things started. There is no warm little smile to get things started. There is no warming up the crowd. How y'all doing tonight to get things going? Nope, the man stands up and says the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints. It is payday for Satan. It is payday for the ungodly. They are going to meet him in wrath. They are going to meet him in judgment. What a mighty preacher. What a bold preacher. What a special preacher. But my friend, we do wrong if we don't notice the message that he preached. The Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints. He is coming in power and great glory. Of course, Enoch is preaching of the day. When the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds... He comes all the way back to the earth. He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. When King Jesus puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, that very mountain where the disciples watched him ascend to glory, he is coming back to that spot. Zechariah preaches that when his foot hits the Mount of Olives, that mountain is going to split down the middle against the fault line. And that's when King Jesus enters through the eastern gate and the Lord shall reign over all the earth. And that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. The man invested his life in preaching that King Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. That the Messiah, the Christ, he is coming to rule. He is coming to reign. The Lord of Lords, the King of all kings is coming in power and glory. So here is Enoch preaching with his tongue. Jesus is coming to this earth. But do you know what happens with his life? Because he is so righteous, because he is so godly, because he has spent his life walking with God, the man who uses his tongue to preach of the day that Jesus comes back to this earth in power and great glory to reign, at the end of his earthly life, God uses his life to preach a message of the day when Jesus comes in the clouds. There it is in verse 23. 
And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God. And watch this. He was not, for God took him. He was, then he was not, for God snatched him. God just took him. It says in Hebrews 11 and verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, for God translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God in his family. He pleased God in his life. He pleased God in his preaching. And now he comes to that moment in time where you can almost hear heaven say, Enoch, you have walked with me. Nobody else has done that before. Enoch, you have lived an exemplary life. Enoch, you have faithfully prophesied and preached. Amos, you have delivered the unpopular message. Amos, you have been bold to preach against sin. So now, Amos, it is time for God to use your life to preach a message of the second coming of Christ. No, no, not when he comes back to the earth, to the Mount of Olives. But he says, we're going to use your life to preach the message as to what happens when Jesus comes in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, when he comes in the clouds. Do you see what happened to Enoch? He was. And then he was not. Okay, I know. The little girl was in a Sunday school class and they were talking about Enoch and, and the little girl said, well, you know, one day Enoch and the Lord were just strolling along and, and the Lord said, Enoch, I think we're closer to my house than your house, so why don't we just keep strolling up to heaven? Now that we have that out of the way, that is not what the Bible says. It says that he was and that he was not. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he was, and he was gone. And my friend, this could be the night. Well, I thank the Lord it doesn't matter what side of the border somebody is on when Jesus comes. This could be the night, this Sunday night. It might be the night that the trumpet sounds. It may be the last service that was ever preached at Grace Baptist Church was done on video. It may be that tonight is the night that Jesus returns in the clouds. A Christian man will be walking down the hallway of his home. One foot comes down on a carpet. The next foot comes down on a street of gold. A Christian lady driving to the market. All of a sudden, the car keeps going straight because that lady keeps on going up. And a moment in a heartbeat in the twinkling of an eye the Bible tells us Jesus is coming and the first message preached in the Bible about Jesus coming to take his children home in the clouds was not preached with a tongue it was preached with a life and Enoch walked with God he looked at a little boy in the crib and said that little fella needs a daddy who means business with God and Enoch walked with God. The Bible tells us he learns the secret to this thing. This is not about God doing it my way. This is not about God pleasing me. This is about me pleasing him. This is about me choosing to walk on his terms. Now the Bible says that he is so faithful. He is such a testimony. He pleases God so beautifully that when the man is ready to go to heaven, God says, Enoch, we're going to use your life as I will use the life of Elijah one day. To let my children know what happens before the time of tribulation comes. I'm going to snatch my children home and Enoch walk with God. But would you notice there's one more lesson for us tonight. The Bible tells us that Enoch starts his walk with God when his boy is born. He understands the key to walking with God. His walk becomes his message. But number four, a man who walks with God is the world's last best hope. A man who walks with God is the world's last best hope. Look, if you would, to verse 27. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years, and he died. 
Now, if you mention the name Methuselah to most Christians, it is nothing more than an answer to a Bible trivia question. Who lives longer than any other man? And of course, the answer is Methuselah. At least there's no one known who lived longer than him. 969 years. But you know, there's a fascinating thing and reason to all of this. When Methuselah, of all people, is awarded the longest life in all of history, have you ever asked why? I mean, aren't there people that were perhaps more honorable? We don't know anything about Methuselah. We don't even know for certain he was saved. I'd like to believe he was. Why? We don't know what he did. We don't know that he was a preacher or any such thing. And, and we know nothing about his life except that he lives longer than any other human recorded in the Bible. But you know, when Methuselah was born, no doubt he was named by God. Because the name Methuselah, and there's various shades of this, but it means something close to this. When he dies, it shall come. You start at the birth of Methuselah at 969 years, and you are at the very point of Genesis chapter 7, verse number 1, where God told Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. When Methuselah dies, the judgment of God comes. Why, the wickedness of man was already great. There's hints of that in Genesis chapter 4. Of course, when you come to Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that, that it was all wicked, it was all evil. I, the word of God describes that it wasn't just the actions, but every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin is out of control. Sin is on every hand. Wickedness is on every side. And the Bible tells us that God made the promise when he dies, it shall come. And so all of a sudden, this Methuselah becomes very significant, doesn't he? Because while I might think, well, why doesn't God give the longest life to a Noah or to an Abraham or to somebody like Joseph? Why does the longest life have honor? Why does it go to someone like Methuselah? And yet there is the reason. Methuselah, could I put it like this? He is a walking time bomb of the judgment of God. God is saying when that man dies, the judgment of God comes. The Jewish historians of the Old Testament claim the reason the Lord kept the door of the ark open seven days was so that Noah could properly mourn the death of Methuselah. You know, I don't know if that is true or if that's not true. I think there's a more important reason he left that door open. But Methuselah was a message. Methuselah was a sign. When Methuselah dies, that's when it's time to get on the ark. You can imagine Noah building that ark and, and he's a long but a long way from being done. And you maybe somebody comes running up. You say, you know, Methuselah's 933. Hey, Noah, did you hear the news? Methuselah had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. And I can see Noah as he throws a hammer up and says, no, he can't do that. The ark's not done. And I can see him run to the hospital, shove a doctor away, push a nurse aside, and get up in the face of Methuselah and say, man, you can't go yet. The ark isn't finished. Methuselah's 963 years old. He is huffing and he is puffing. Hey, he can barely hang on. Man, he's got to blow out that many candles on a birthday cake. And you can hear Noah say, hang in there, man. It's almost done. Now the ark is done. The animals have come to the boat. And word comes, Methuselah is gone. I'm pretty sure I know who preached the funeral, that preacher of righteousness. And now it is time for Noah and his family to enter into that ark. After seven days, the invisible hand of God will shut that ark. And humans' last opportunity to be saved is going to be washed away in a worldwide flood. Because the last best hope was someone who walked with God. It's just a stunning testimony of Genesis 6, isn't it? Oh, 
The whole world is in wickedness. The whole world is going the wrong way. The whole world, every imagination of the thoughts of their heart is only evil continually. And yet there is like a lighthouse shining off the Canadian coast. There are those mighty words, but Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. I love the fact it doesn't say that Noah bought grace. It's not for sale. I love the fact it doesn't say that Noah earned grace. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but Noah found grace, the great mercies and grace of God that you and I can find in the Bible from a place called Calvary. The Bible says, but Noah found grace. Then, then it makes another startling statement. With a whole world walking one way, it says, but Noah walked with God. Just like his great-grandfather had done. Enoch walked with God. The only one in the world that seemed to do so. And now here's a man who joins him, his great-grandson. And it's good that he did or you and I wouldn't be here tonight. The last best hope their world had was not a new politician. It was not a new program. The last best hope was not some human rescuer. The last best hope was for somebody to stand up like Enoch did. For a man like Noah to rise tall and say, if the whole world stands against me, I am still making a choice to walk with God. The world's last best hope is someone in Grace Baptist Church of Surrey, British Columbia, who will determine to walk with God. My friend, the answer is not coming in my country out of Washington, D.C. The answer in your nation is not going to come out of Ottawa. The answer is going to be in a New Testament church. That man, that lady, maybe a young person that'll go to school with a Bible tucked under their arm and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The world has a lot of things it needs tonight, but there is no more desperate need for than it has than for a man who will stand up tall, for a lady who will have a great heart of courage, for some young person to say, if no one joins me, it matters not. I have decided to follow Jesus. And with the world going the wrong way, a man named Enoch said that I walk with God. With the world going the wrong way, a man named Noah said I choose to walk with God. And tonight with the world going the wrong way, where is that man? Where is that lady? Where is that teenager? Where is the college student at Grace Baptist Church that'll rise up tall and stand up straight and say if I am the only one in the whole world, I am making a choice to walk with God. With the world going the wrong direction, the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. Who will walk with him tonight? If you have never believed, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus is not a way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. Jesus is not part and ingredient of the truth. He is the truth. Jesus does not help someone get eternal life. He is eternal life. The question tonight, is he your savior? Do you know from the Bible that Jesus has washed your sins away? Do you know from the Bible that every sin is gone? Oh, my friend, if not, I plead with you to call upon the name of Jesus, to trust him and be saved. Perhaps you watch this message online and you're not sure you're born into the family of God. You might say tonight, I need someone to help me and guide me. There are many ways you can contact Pastor White and he is more than ready, more than happy. I drop everything so that you can know from the Bible, Jesus is your savior. 
Now tonight, if you're not saved, I beg with you to take the great invitation of God to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You know him as your Savior tonight. The clarion call comes from the life of an old prophet named Enoch. With the world going the wrong way, the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. The rest is history. Who tonight will make a choice to walk with God? Father, may the word of God be greatly convicting to us. I pray that you would raise up an army of men and ladies, young people, college students, and Grace Baptist Church tonight who would be willing to say, no matter the price, no matter the cost, I will stand up for Jesus and I will walk with him. Oh, Lord, would you please help us understand there is nothing easy. There is nothing cheap about someone walking with God. The price is great. But may you find folk tonight that are willing to say, my life for the will of God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.